Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. It's time for another edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday, podcast1.com and iTunes. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope everybody had a great Memorial Weekend. I am recording this podcast this week via my iPhone, so that's why the uh, open segment sounds a little different than normal, but uh, the interviews will be usual top quality. Get ready for that. we got two good ones coming up in a minute, but I'm in Tulsa once again, where I spend a lot of time, this time uh, coming off of, at the time I'm recording this, hosting Rocklahoma, year number 11 for Rocklahoma, an absolute blast as always, and this year we had good weather. It was hot. I'll tell you that it was hot as hell, but it was no storms. The last two years, Rocklahoma was wiped out uh, the headlining acts on Saturday because of bad weather, which can, of course, happen in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, especially in May. And this year, no storms, no rain, no delays whatsoever. So that was a great thing about Rocklahoma this year, although it was blazing hot, especially during the times that Vince Neal and Tom Kiefer and Hailstorm were on stage on the days that they played. Got a chance to see most of the bands, not everything, as is par for the course with festivals with me. I am uh, working at these things, pulled in a lot of different directions, so I don't get to just sit and watch all the bands, but I did get to watch a good amount of a lot of groups, and um, you know, if you want more on that, I did a lot on Rocklahoma on my Sirius XM show, Trunk Nation, which the uh, the episode or the uh, the day that I was on this past Tuesday, if you're a Sirius XM subscriber, go grab that show. It's on demand on the Sirius XM app, and you can hear really about an hour and a half on all the bands and all my thoughts about the bands that played Rocklahoma this year. A little bit too much to get into here on the podcast, especially given the fact that I have two interviews for you this week, which we'll get to in a second. But it's always fun to be out there in uh, in Tulsa at Rocklahoma, and I appreciate all the great fans, all the bands, everybody that I hung with, everybody that I got to see, and look forward to year 
number 12 next year. It's been amazing to be a part of a festival like this since it very first started. And as I've said a few times, one of the incredibly cool things about Rocklahoma is it really is the only one of the big rock festivals across the country that includes 80s bands. You had Lynch Mob, you had Vince Neil, you had Tom Kiefer, a, a real nice sprinkling, you had Poison closing on Sunday. So you have a real nice representation of the 80s acts sitting right in there with 90s acts and beyond. And that's a really cool thing to see and something that, honestly, I wish a lot more happened uh, or we saw that happen. I should say a lot more, but it just doesn't. There, There's still a bias against a lot of these 80s bands, and I'm glad Rocklahoma mixes them all up equally. So a good time there in Tulsa. I hosted Striper as well in Tulsa yesterday, if you're listening to this on post day at the IDL Ballroom. I'm recording this on Tuesday, so can't tell you about that show because it hasn't happened yet, but for the sake of the timeline, as you're listening to this on the first day of posts, I hosted a uh, Striper show at the IDL, which I'll tell you more about. I'll be back here again in Tulsa in July for two appearances on the 13th to host a show with Dokken, on the 28th to host a free show with Bisto Blanco, both of those also at the IDL Ballroom in Tulsa. So if you're in this area of the country, I'll see you again in July and in August. A lot of shows that I'm hosting here in Tulsa, and it's great to uh, be involved. I thank my friend Doug Burgess for having me involved in putting these shows on and hope you guys get out and support if you're in that area of the country. Coming to Cincinnati on June 9th at the venue for my speaking show, Hope to see you if you're in Cincinnati. All of my appearances, as they're confirmed, as usual, on the homepage of eddytrunk.com. You also may have seen some of the trailers now for my new TV series, which is debuting on July 1st on Access TV called Trunk Fest. Really excited that some footage and some teaser clips coming out on that. And you can see those on my website on eddytrunk.com right now. Get a little taste of what's to come with this brand new festival show that I will be hosting. And that premieres on July 1st, 9.30, 8.30 Central on Access TV. And I'm getting ready to shoot two more episodes to put a wrap on season one, which, like I said, you'll see on that premiere date of July 1. So busy time, as usual, in my world. A lot of great stuff going on. Follow on Twitter. Follow on Instagram. Follow on Facebook, at Eddie Trunk. And like I said, eddietrunk.com is where you'll find everything as far as my confirmed appearances, shows I'm presenting. Go to E.T.'s box office, especially if you're in the New York area and register to win tickets to all sorts of shows. Music news, Dana updates that all the time, and you get daily updates on the acts that you care about right there on my site. A couple other quick notes here. Uh, Beyond Rocklahoma, big news in, in my world at least. Everybody knows what a huge fan of UFO I am. News coming out, Phil Mogg, the band's sole original member that never left the band, that's been there since day one. Phil Mogg, after 50 years of UFO and now at uh, 70 years old, is calling it a day and retiring a lot of people reached out to me about this, asking me, you know, what my thoughts were. Wow, you must be devastated. The truth is, I'm not. I, I am often someone who says that I do not believe people should stay too long at the party, meaning continue playing in bands when they feel they can't do it anymore. When they've put their time in, they feel their capability is not there, their heart's not in it anymore. As much as I love these bands, 
I would much rather have them retire and end than stay too long, wonder why they're still playing, talk about how they can't do it anymore, they don't sound that good anymore. So I'm not going to be a hypocrite. As much as I love UFO, I know they can't go on forever, and I'm fine with Phil Mogg retiring. I applaud his decision that he knew when to say when. Vocally, Phil Mogg is still pretty damn good, but his heart's not in it anymore as far as touring uh, from his own statement. And, you know, I mean, he can't sing exactly like he used to. That's not going to get better. He's still darn good, but still. I give him credit for knowing when to say when. So one more tour or set of shows for Phil Mogg and UFO. There's been some people talking about could UFO continue without him. I think that's ludicrous. I, as a lifelong UFO fan, couldn't even entertain that idea of a band called UFO without Phil Mogg. That's just pointless to me. However, we've seen crazier things, right? We'll see. I'm not even thinking about anything like that. However, I am thinking about what UFO is going to do for these final shows. Nothing is announced, but like all UFO fans, we can only hope that it means a return for Michael Schenker, and if any way possible, Pete Way. And I would also throw in Paul Chapman to that equation. Now, there's been nothing said, but man, if you are a UFO fan like I am, and you want to see this band end, you want at least one show or one tour with 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 Schenker and hopefully Way, and for my money, also a, seg- a, a, a chapter with Chapman, if possible, involved. We don't know what's going to happen. Let's see. But, man, that would be special. UFO, such an influential band, so loved by so many. You're hearing from a lot of people now about this. But whether it be Kirk Hammett, whether it be Dave Mustaine, whether it be Mike McCready, the list goes on and on of the people and artists that Phil Mogg has influenced along with all of UFO. And this is a victory lap now on an amazing career. And really, for my money, one of the most underrated singers and lyricists ever in rock history, Phil Mogg, and needless to say, one of the great underrated bands to many, and that UFO. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this story plays out, but those are my thoughts on that. And one other quick note, I want to say uh, speedy recovery to, well, I want to say best wishes to Phil Collin and his wife, Helen, who recently had a child. I spent time with Phil and Def Leppard a couple weeks ago in New Jersey. They invited me to their rehearsals for the Def Leppard tour. As I'm sure you heard, shortly into the tour, Phil Collin had to leave Def Leppard to go back to L.A., to deal with a a family situation, uh, you know, and and I, I wish him the best in that. I'm not going to get into any specifics on that. That'll come from Phil when they're ready, but hoping for good things for him and his wife. We'll leave it at that. Needless to say, Phil had to go back for an undisclosed period of time. And my old friend Steve Brown has stepped back into Def Leppard, and I'm real happy for Steve. Obviously, this comes under rough conditions and not the best of circumstances, but Steve is uh, the guitar player from the band Trickster. And he, in case you don't know, Steve has actually filled in on in Def Leppard in the past for Vivian Campbell, when Vivian has had issues with uh, having to go get his treatments for cancer and having to miss some shows because of that. 
Steve Brown has been the sub for Vivian Campbell. Well, this time around, Steve is the sub for Phil Collin and has done a few shows playing lead guitar in Def Leppard and, of course, having to sing all that stuff. So it speaks greatly to Steve's talent that he's able to step into Def Leppard and fill the shoes of either guitar player at this point. He's done both. No small feat at all. So congratulations to Steve getting another stint in Def Leppard, clearly not for the reasons anyone would want for Phil to have to deal with some some personal family stuff. He'll be back soon, I'm sure, but I'm happy for my buddy Steve that he's gotten another swing in there with Def Leppard, another chance to showcase his talents and see where that may take him and who may recognize that uh, to bring him into the fold. So uh, just a little update on that in case you were unaware of that news and you saw Def Leppard, no Phil Collin, which I don't think has happened in probably 35 years. I mean, I don't think Def Leppard's ever played a show without Phil Collin since he joined, joined the band back in 83. So that's pretty remarkable if you think about it. And obviously serious for Phil to have to step away from, from that tour with Journey that's out there right now. So just wanted to give you a quick thing on that as well. You, as usual, all the music news that you need to know is on eddytrunk.com as well. And follow on Twitter at eddytrunk for info and updates. Our interviews this week, there are two of them. Let's get to them because they're two good ones. Jason Hook from the band Five Finger Death Punch. Jason called in to talk about the new Five Finger Death Punch record and also their current tour and their upcoming tour with Shinedown. So Jason Hook is uh, our first interview up, and he joined me from the road with Five Finger Death Punch. Interview number two took place from the Hard Rock in Tulsa the day before Rocklahoma kicked off with Billy Duffy of the Cult. Billy was staying in the hotel at the Hard Rock here uh, the day before Rocklahoma. I hosted a meet and greet with the Cult, and Billy was nice enough to come by and join me for a few minutes at my radio booth here in Tulsa at the Hard Rock. So, great double dip this week. Jason Hook of Five Finger Death Punch first, followed by Billy Duffy of the Cult second on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. And one other thing. If you're shopping on Amazon, be sure to start on my page, amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. We'll get Jason Hook up in a sec, followed by Billy Duffy. And remember, one last reminder, all the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk podcast originate and are courtesy of my Sirius XM show on volume, which is called Trunk Nation. Volume is channel 106. Hear my show live daily, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, replaying every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, and always available on the Sirius XM app. You only get a small taste of what I do on a daily basis here on this podcast. Join me on the radio show. Hear it all live. Hear a ton more. Get involved. Call in and all that sort of stuff. All right. We'll get back with those interviews right after this. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Podcast. 
Hey, let me tell you guys about TheraWorks Relief. Now, if you're one of the millions of Americans who suffers from muscle cramps in your legs and feet, relief is finally in sight. TheraWorks Relief is a topical foam that's clinically proven to relieve muscle cramps fast with daily use. TheraWorks Relief can even prevent muscle cramps before they start. I got to tell you, I recommend TheraWorks Relief to my family and my friends and the results speak for themselves. I have had uh, an issue with a horrendous cramp and muscle cramp that I get in my calf that has woken me up like somebody stabbing you in the calf. It is unbelievably painful. And the first thing I did was reach for TheraWorks Relief, and it really did help. It is the real deal. Life-changing product, and best of all, you don't even need a prescription. TheraWorks Relief only takes a minute to apply. It absorbs quickly, and it really works. TheraWorks Relief is my my choice for preventing and relieving muscle cramps, make it yours too. Get TheraWorks Relief today at select CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreen pharmacies or at TheraWorksRelief.com. Talk to your pharmacist, uh, pharmacist, I should say, about TheraWorks Relief and experience relief from muscle cramps for yourself. That's TheraWorks Relief for your muscle cramps. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. If you like this show, then check out the Adam Carolla Show every weekday on Podcast One. The Ace Man still holds the title of the number one daily downloaded podcast in the world as he complains about whatever's on his mind with his celebrity pals like Dr. Drew Pinsky, Joe Coy, and many, many more. Check out the Adam Carolla Show at Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Also remember to rate and review. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. From earaches to strep tests, there's Clinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit Clinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. Welcome back to the Eddie Trunk Podcast, everyone. Right now, as promised, our first of two interviews this week, Jason Hook of Five Finger Death Punch, not only talking about the band, but talking about a tremendous film that he's a producer on called Hired Gun. Here's Jason up first, and then we'll get to, uh, in just a couple minutes uh, after that, or after this interview, I should say, I'll also give you an interview with Billy Duffy of The Cult. So two interviews this week, Jason Hook right now on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. What's going on, brother? Hey Eddie, how are you doing, man? I'm good, man. How's the how the show's going? Um, I, you know we're very lucky, Eddie. Things are uh, things are very good in the Five Finger Death Punch uh, camp at the moment. <laughs> at the moment, is it a day by day venture? <laughs> no, no, no. The truth is, uh, uh, what can I say? We're experiencing a lot of um, great attendance you know a lot of the shows have been sold out uh anytime we package with shine down it seems to uh seems to uh bring the people out so you know i'm having a good time i have a little bit of an upper respiratory infection uh today eddie so you have to forgive me i've got my um sex line of deep voice happening yeah really i feel like i'm i'm calling the uh 1-800-5-finger i don't know (laughs) what (laughs) try to contain yourself eddie (laughs) Finger something else here, Jason. I don't know what you're doing there. 
I know. <laughs> but you know what, Ed, when you, when you asked ask me if I wanted to do this, the answer was absolutely 100% yes. Uh, I think you have the hottest show on radio, and, um, and I'm a fan. And any media personality that is a KISS fan is, uh, gets my full priority. So there you go. Well, we could, we could, well, thank you for that. And we could easily do an entire show on Kiss because you're another one in the, in the cult as well of the deep. Fan. Have you ever had a, have you ever had any extended Kiss conversation with John Five? Um, um, yes, yes and no. He, uh, you know, he's tight with all those guys. So I'm extremely jealous. Um, <laughs> when we played with, we played with zombies somewhere. And all of a sudden, I'm just walking to my dressing room, and there's Peter Chris. I'm like, of course John Five's friends with Peter Chris. Why wouldn't he be? I'm like, none, nobody likes me, but I love John Five, so I stay close to John. <laughs> John, John, uh, I picked John. I was in L.A. last week, and I gave John a ride home from his rehearsal with Zombie. And we got to his house, and he, he, he took me inside. You know, he has a, a, a room dedicated to Kiss. Oh, hey, I love it. Keep going. And it's it's ridiculous. He's got a pinball machine in great working order, and he's buying up everything he can, and he's got it all displayed. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you really should. He's got an Instagram account that's called yes. Knights in Satan Service. He just asked me if I would contribute my or share my story about my first Kiss record, but I just told him I would wait until my voice clears up a little bit. But I'm I, uh, <laughs> I have the story from. He just asked me like two days ago. It was great. You got to follow it. It's you got to follow the Instagram. It's a trip. Every day he posts a different collectible from his collection, and then he'll like you or me or whoever the super fans. He'll have do these little video moments, you know, talking yeah. about like what their big their favorite Kiss moment or Kiss record is. What you're younger than me by by about eight years or so. What what and you grew up in Canada. What was your Kiss your first Kiss experience? Well, my first Kiss concert was the Asylum tour at Maple Leaf Gardens. Um, what year would that be, Ed? 86? 5, 6-ish. Yeah, 85, 6, something yeah, five, like that. Okay, 5, 6, okay. Uh, <clears throat> and King King Cobra opened. Yeah. Um, and they were on their thrill of a lifetime. I can talk about this stuff with you, Ed, because you're like the trivia, the deepest well of trivia out there. <laughs> Carmine Apiece uh, on drums in King Cobra. That's right. And that was when they had just shot the never say die video and all of us rock fans were like no did they cut their hair off do you remember that with lou gossett yeah. jr yeah. yeah well the first the first the first king cobra album ready to strike was actually really good the second was it. when they went totally commercial and you know then that singer had a yeah. had a sex change and became a woman i know i, yeah. I actually i actually really loved the king cobra the first king cobra record was aggressive and dark i loved yeah it. Um, yeah, ready to they, strike. Yeah, did, yeah, and then they did lighten it up a little bit because I'm sure the record sale, record sale, or the record company is probably pushing for more sales as they always do. <laughs> but uh, either way, um, I I just want to let you know, Eddie, I have two Kiss pinball machines. Just saying. Really? Yes, I have the original. I have one from 1978, the Bally's machine, which I fully yeah. restored. With the amount of money that I paid to ship it from Canada. And to have it restored, I could have bought three of the freaking <laughs> Bally's. But anyway, I have that one. And then I had to go in for the 2015 Stern red powder-coated uh, limited edition pinball machine. 
Yeah, see, I like the original one, the, not only because that, of that band, but also because of the fact that I don't like those the, the pinball machines where they've got like five balls going at once and all that. I like, if yeah. it, the, I actually, I actually like playing the original machine beyond the fact that it's a Kiss machine. I actually like the streamlined nature of it and the fact that it's yeah. a fun. It, it, you can know, you know what you're doing. You got stuff to shoot for on there. Exactly. Although, when you talk about multiple balls in play you know gene simmons does regurgitate five balls when he throws up in the middle of your game so that is <laughs> that is pretty cool <laughs> but you got to feed him the balls first he keeps them in he collects the balls and he goes he throws them all up again <laughs> just just randomly the game will do that or or that's during yes, the play no, of the game that's that's part of the strategy is you got to fill up his stomach with your balls and then oh that sounds <laughs> awful how did i I know that i was going to sit here and get you on and not we haven't talked about your band or your movie yet but we're already in the kiss rabbit hole deep (laughs) i'm in one of those moods dude i'm sorry that's great i love it you kidding me (laughs) so asylum tour asylum tour is your first show i mean that's of course no makeup bruce kulik eric carr era of uh, the MTV era, at least here in America. But it's interesting because that's the show and that's the band you saw that made the huge impact, huh? Oh, dude, I was uh, I was infected several years before that tour. I, I was begging my parents to take me to Maple Gardens to see the Dynasty show. But we had somehow coincidentally booked a houseboat trip. A houseboat trip. I missed the, the Dynasty tour for a houseboat trip. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, you know I'm a huge fan, and uh, I have spent a little time one on one with each of each of them, and uh, I cherish that. You know. Well, listen back to. I want to talk about the movie Hired Gun because that's long overdue, and I've been a huge fan and been talking about it with everybody and on this show, and how much I love it ever since um, Phil X actually first invited me out to that screening a couple of years ago in L.A. We'll talk about the movie okay. in a second, but as far as Five Finger is concerned, new album is out on Friday, right? Yeah, fi- finally. You know that uh, we finished this record uh, December. We turned this record in December 2016, Eddie. So I'm already I'm already over it. I, I, I've already written <laughs> half a new record. <laughs> you know? But I mean, all joking aside, we you know we everybody, I think everybody is uh, aware of the fact that we got into a bit of a legal tangle <clears throat> with the label, and it really it really was so stupid i mean the net net is and i it's funny because they don't want me to talk about it because i it, it really upset me and uh i'm not used to making music when and being told what to do like that's a really strange uh shift you know um and if anyone's ever seen the artifact remember that artifact movie with uh, yeah jared leto? jared leto yeah right so you you get it you get a snapshot of how weird it would be to be making music under the condition of you know in his case being sued for 30 million dollars um it was just weird i didn't really like it and i haven't done a lot of press i uh, i'm you're the first person i've agreed to talk to about the record because uh to me it's like being interviewed about a horrible car crash <laughs> you know it's like yeah we got sued and 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 there was all kinds of things that we were asked to do and that, that didn't feel natural. And, uh, you know, we wiggled out of it and then the whole thing got dropped. So, I mean, it was just like, what was that for? 
So obviously the circumstances around making the record were not ideal, but as far as the record itself and the material, you stand behind that? You like the record itself? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, um, exactly. I mean, we it was really strange because I think, you know, we do what we do. And we're extremely picky about the records, or at least I am anyway, because I've always thought records are forever. Like, I'll die. I'll go away. And some... And these little discs or, in, or, or MP3s or whatever will last forever. So it's really important to me to get it yeah. right. No, you know, there shouldn't be a deadline on, you know, it's, just, it's too important. Somebody says, well, I can't finish the guitar solo because we'll fly to the tour in the morning. To me, that's unacceptable because um, the guitar solo is way is going to be forever. And the tour is like, whatever, there's always tours, you know? <clears throat> And that's a great that's a great way of looking at it because too many people just throw stuff out there that don't put a lot behind it. They almost look at like, well, a new record is just another vehicle to do some press and promote a tour. But you, to actually care about what's on it and and that that's going to be your legacy, I think it's really important. I think more people should view records like that, and I don't think they really do. Yeah. Okay. So you so you understand? I think that yeah. Off off of a good record, um, everything else will fall into place. Good good record with popular songs means people want to come see it live. Means they will uh, pick up a t-shirt at the show. Everything kind of falls into place if the records are there. So um, I don't like being messed with on in that process. But we made it through okay. We got uh, well. It's coming out Friday. It's funny, Eddie, because the thing has been I've been hearing this thing since 2016. So it's really not that fresh for me. <laughs> right. It's like oh yeah, that's coming out. Oh neat. Well, I'm sure for the fans, though, they're excited about it, and it finally they do finally get to hear it, like you said, available everywhere on, on Friday. And I'll tell you, man, that video you guys put out recently for the track Champagne is friggin' hysterical. <laughs> well, thanks. You know, videos, videos are kind of like the necessary evil. I'm sure you've heard this before. Um, but right after you finish making a record, uh, in our case, tour, we did a lot of touring, uh, and then all of a sudden, like, we guys, I know you guys are off for a week, and I know it's a really important week for you guys to recharge your batteries, but we kind of got to get this video done. So we're like, ah, crap. <laughs> you know? There's just an endless amount of stuff to do. But we're like, we don't have a concept, so let's just be goofy. That seems to, at least we get a chuckle. And, you know, sometimes when you're taking everything so seriously, Eddie, it's people like, oh, brother, fans in the hair playing guitar on top of the cliff. We've seen it, you know? Well, it's it's hysterical. People got to check it out. You can go to the band's website or wherever you watch videos these days and and see it because it is it is a trip. It is really funny. Fivefingerdeathpunch.com is the band's website to get to pre-order the record or buy the record and there's a ton of merch up there and the tour dates and the, this video for Champagne which is hysterical. It looks like Ivan's doing better. He seems to be in good spirits, seems to be healthy. Everything's been cool with him? Yeah, I mean it's it's like night and day. I don't I mean, if, it seems as if this sobriety, the concept, has finally taken hold. Uh, he's been a dream come true. It's like somebody dropped us into uh, Fantasy Island with uh, Mr. Rourke, you know? It's like, who is this guy? <laughs> 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 but, hey, I'm not complaining. Oh, that's that's great. That's good to see. That's good to see and hear. And, of course, I'm sure it's a big relief for the fans as well. So that's a yeah. that's a good thing, and and you got a tour you're doing out. Uh, you're out now with Shine Down, are you? This was only a couple weeks, uh, Eddie. This one was um, just a short run. The, the 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 tour that we're kind of promoting is uh, Breaking Benjamin starts in July. I want to say and goes all the way through to September. It's a two monther. 
Yeah, it looks like that one kicks off in uh, in Auburn, Washington, July 16th. And then, as you yeah. said, runs through there, starts on the West Coast, and that is with Breaking Benjamin, who also have a new record out. Ben was just on this show not too long ago, as a matter of fact. So uh, get your tour dates, get your information. Fivefingerdeathpunch.com is the website. Another thing that Jason uh, did that I just think is phenomenal and I think is a must-view for anybody in my audience is work on a film called Hired Gun that I first found out about, I guess, a couple years ago. I happened to be in L.A., and Phil X called me and said, hey, we're doing this screening. You should come out. Jason was on the road at the time, so wasn't there, but I absolutely loved the movie. It is now available on Netflix to see and in whatever other configurations. And and Jason, how did this thing come to you? Like, was this your idea? Was was doing a film about the behind the scenes guys in the music industry? Did, I mean, you were one for a long time. Is that where the idea was born? Well, yeah. I mean, yes. I, I have a. I, in the very beginning, I partnered with the director, Fran Strine. Um, Fran was out on, on tour with us as our videographer, and uh, he he was anxious to try to do something, um, you know, big. And and we we were riding the bus together one night, and I said, look, I, I love documentaries. I collect documentaries. I've seen just about every music documentary uh, that you could list. And um, I just really like that whole take the audience somewhere where they're not normally supposed to go. I really love that. Just kind of like the, like the behind the music type stuff where kind of peeled back the layer and says, here's what you didn't know. Everyone was on cocaine. This person died. This person's <laughs> sister committed. You know what I mean? Like it's all this stuff. I love it too. I mean, it's my favorite type of movie. I mean, I watch everyone I can, and I talk about them every day on this show. So yeah. Well, and, and, and I was telling uh, Fran, I said, look, if we do this, um, I want to go for the grit, the dirt, because to me, that's honest. You know, let's let's try to expose stuff that, nor- that you wouldn't normally be exposed to, and that now becomes interesting. And I don't, you know, it's not my desire to be a filmmaker, so if I piss anyone off by being a little too honest, it's okay. I have another job. <laughs> 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 so, the, you know, we talked, we talked just like, 55 people assembled 300 hours of interview. Um, and, you know, some people would come in an interview and go, look, I don't know what you're expecting, but I'm not about to talk a bunch of crap on my former bosses or my current boss. We're like, yeah, man, whatever you're comfortable with, just let it roll. Well, you know, I had about an hour into the interview. They're just going off like crazy. And I'm like, keep, keep rolling, keep rolling. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, perfect. That's the only five minutes I need. <laughs> We're for, done. For, for, for you for you personally i mentioned you you know for i know that there was i guess kind of like a little time where you didn't you personally didn't want to talk about working with some of the pop artists that you worked with whether it be mandy moore or hillary duff once you were in five finger but obviously you pull back the curtain on yourself in this as well right yes and i think because um you know i when remember when sammy hagar released his book and I watched a lot of his press that he was doing for his book. And he's like, you know what? The only way to make it real and make it honest is if you, you kind of got to spill the beans on yourself too. You got to, you know, you got to throw yourself under the bus and that way it's not an attack on everyone around you. And I, you know, the, the, those pop gigs for me, 
have been a tr- it's a tricky thing for me because I don't regret anything. Um, I learned a lot from those situations. Uh, I learned things that there's no way you would learn from being just just in heavy metal. We did a lot of television shows, high pressure, music awards, morning shows. You know, the Morning View, and I mean, just a lot of intense stuff. And mo- and, for, and most of the time, it was just me playing guitar next to the artist. So that's a lot of pressure going out nationwide over the airways, you know. So um, I just I just decided the only way to make it acceptable is to own it. If I don't like it when people go, I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, my God, that's embarrassing. Put that away. I can't even look at it. I don't like that. I like people going, fuck, yeah, I did that, and I was fucking amazing. You know what I mean? And it was hard. That's my opinion. Yeah, well, I think, and I think, I think rock and metal fans certainly get it. I mean, listen, everybody's got to make, I mean, if you're a musician and you start, you've done a lot of session work, you've done all sorts of things with different people before you were in Five Finger Death Punch. But if you're a musician, you're, you're trying to make a living doing what you love, which is playing your instrument. It's just like in radio. There's a lot of people that started in radio a long time ago and they, uh, I, I have a friend that works in country radio right now. He's a rock guy. He doesn't want to be yeah. playing country records, but at least he's doing doing what he loves which is radio so for you it's it, for you or anybody that does that it's it's kind of the same thing it's not like oh you lose your rock or metal cred card because you did something it's like no you had a great gig working doing what you loved and you had your goal on something bigger and now you got it i i, I don't think there's anything wrong with that well thank you eddie and i think it also makes a pretty compelling story because not too many people look i came from canada i drove down with two hundred dollars in a dodge colt and i just remember being more excited than scared and i made a pact with myself on the way down do not work at starbucks do not go and work a forklift at home depot that's not why you made the trip to los angeles um you know you got your gear so play with everybody that was my mantra i would go to a backyard party or barbecue night uh dinner party and i would just be like yeah i'll play with anybody whatever what like was your very What was your very first gig, Jason? When you came to LA, when you drove from Canada, what 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 was the very first gig? Oh, this is tough, Eddie. But you know what? For you, I'm going to do it. <clears throat> I played with I played with two two, uh, two singer songwriter girls called called uh, Carmen and Camille, and uh, I think I think they were actually I think they're Canadian. I think they're from Vancouver, and like Dad had a ton of money. And he just relocated them down to L.A. and put a band together. And he had deep pockets. And he was like, I just want the best for my girls. And so we did a bunch of these, like, Jack Sugar Shack type (laughs) stool gigs, you know. And uh, that was the first one I did. I don't remember any of the songs. I barely even remember what they sound like, but it was like I learned all the songs, and then boom, I was there making my 50 bucks a show. (laughs) (laughs) You did what you had to do. You weren't driving the forklift. You were playing guitar. That was the idea. I understand that. Now, now for people that haven't seen Hired Gun, they should know this is not the film is far from just Jason's story. Jason is a part of the story and a part of the film, but you, you've got so many different people in here. And it's funny because I watched the movie and it's like 98% of the people that come up on that screen are good friends. Yeah. And I'm like, yep, I know this guy. I know this story. I know this story. But whether it's Phil X who currently plays in Bon Jovi or I'll tell you, man, the one that comes out of that film that if you've seen Hired Gun that everybody talks about is all the stuff with Liberty DeVito who played drums yeah. for Billy Joel for the longest time and his story 
and how he was basically you looked at as you know got fucked by Billy Joel. But I'm wondering now after this film's been out a little bit, I haven't talked to or seen Liberty in a while. But has there been any repercussions from him saying what he said in the film? Does does anybody know if Billy Joel has has had any response to it? Well, I'm not sure how much I should say, but um, you know we reached out to Billy before the movie was finalized. We reached out to him and said, what do we got to lose? Let's see if he'll interview. Who knows? Maybe he would like to, to share his side of the story. Well, we found a, I think we went, we got through a tour manager that got to Billy and Billy was like, really? Oh, interesting. I'm going to need to see the entire interview and have a transcript of the interview. Mm. And so Billy and, Billy and his lawyers I don't even know if I should say this stuff. But anyway, Billy and his lawyers said, absolutely not. You can't use any of this stuff um, because uh, Liberty is under a non-disclosure when they settled. Oh. So the, it actually, yeah. So we were like, okay, well, I think we shouldn't have uh, <laughs> nudged the giant. Uh, but anyway, I think the I think it's like this, Eddie. If how bad, how much worse would it be for Billy Joel to file a suit against Liberty? I mean, Liberty's like, what's he going to sue me for, my shoes? <laughs> you know? But you ended up using, like, there's a lot of revealing stuff that Liberty says still in the film. So did you guys just go ahead and do it anyway? Or is there more that he said that you cut out because of the lawyer? We, we left everything in there that we wanted to put in there. And Liberty um, was okay with it. And I'll just leave it there. <laughs> so yeah. So basically, that the philosophy that he says, it let him come out. I mean, what's he going to get at that point? You're right. I mean, you know, I think it's as important as stories out there. And I mean, I think that that if you watch this film, that is one of the most, you know, gut wrenching, heartfelt things. I mean, he he's he, you know he's such a good guy, and what he's you know you see him now working with the kids and doing what he's doing. It, it's it's incredible. It's an incredible part. And another drummer who's literally played with everybody. Kenny Aronoff is in there as well. Oh, yeah. His stuff is great. Lukather, the you know always hysterical. Where is is Lukather the one that tells the story about somebody calling because yeah. they were in the middle of taking a shit when they wrote a song yeah. or something? <laughs> they were they were writing a song. They're writing it like, what was the song? Um, oh, da, da, da. it was uh, Turn Your Love Around. It was uh, Turn Your Love Around. Da, 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 da. I forget. Who's the artist? Um, George Benson. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. George Benson. Okay, anyway. So they were trying to come up with a song, and Jay left the session saying, I know we're stuck. I'm going to go away and do something else. You just mess around for a couple minutes, and I'll come back. Anyway, he went to take a shit. Uh, the song pop, song popped into his head, and the story goes he ran back into the room without his clothes on because he was so it was so urgent that he document the idea. What <laughs> <laughs> story? Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so Liberty, so for people that Liberty's for people. Liberty's amazing, and everybody's amazing, and there's a there's some great music. There's a great jam at the end, which is so great. And again, for people, you know, one of the things, Jason, that I find out is that fans don't, and and they shouldn't. They just want to go to the shows, buy the records, and be happy for the bands that they love. But they don't realize what really goes on in the music industry, how it works. They think that if they see somebody in a band photo, well, that person's a member of the band and he's making equal money and all that. They don't understand the ins and outs. And I think it, I talk about it all the time and how this really works. 
And I think it's great that there's a movie out there that tells, celebrates these people's contributions, but also reveals how this is really set up. And what's fascinating about it for you personally is that you talk about you know having done all that other stuff and done session work with Hillary Duff or, or whoever it may have been. But when you got the call about Five Finger Death Punch, because you had been through all that as a hired gun yourself, your big condition with joining the band you're in now was, I want to be a member, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. I Look, um, you know, it, 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 I was committed to this idea that I'm going to get what I want. You know, I'm committed to that. So I would go into something and say, oh, this is really close, but it's not what I want. This is really close. We're like 92%, but this is not what I want. What I wanted to do is write songs and have them released to the public. And that's just not available in hired gun work. So it wasn't that difficult for me to step away from it. But what was difficult is trying to figure out how to support yourself when you're taking these major gambles. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I got lucky. You know, those guys needed a guitar player. I was friends with them. I said, let me do it, please. I'm, I want to be the guy. Okay, fine, you're the guy. I said, but I want to be in a band. You know, I already have a job. I'm playing for Cooper. Um, it's not about money. I can, I, I can work uh, as a guitarist. That's not a challenge. What I want to do is make records and take that gamble. You know, so let's see if we can turn on the, the nation, you know, with music. That's exciting to me. And I got lucky. It worked. Um, but it was scary a little bit of it, you know, because you're walking away from income. And then you're like, that's okay as long as I can get by until something else happens. But you have to have a lot of faith, right? Yeah, I I don't I can't remember because it's been a little while since I watched the movie. But is Hugh McDonald in it? Hugh McDonald is not in it. Um, he was one of the guys I wanted to talk to, but to cover the Bon Jovi story, I mean, there really isn't anyone better than Phil X. And Phil, I've known Phil X since I was sixteen years old. He used to come over and we used to jam together in my in my parents' basement. You know, he's from the same place I'm from. <laughs> no. And he's great for stealing. I can steal a lot of good licks off Phil X. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I mentioned Hugh is because his his story is really fascinating because he was the ultimate hired gun in the sense that not only did a lot of session stuff, but he actually is the guy who played on almost all the Bon Jovi records uncredited while Alec yeah. was on stage playing live. And to bring that full circle... Finally, just recently, Bon Jovi actually announces him as the guy in the band, and then John himself went to bat to get him inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall yep. of Fame, with, which is really unheard of when you consider almost 90% of the work he's done with that band was, as a session guy, uncredited. So that, that's the story I'm... of a hired gun that's come completely like 180 degrees to where he started and where he spent much of his time. I think... I think John um, is doing the right thing because I know I like I hear all the stories because Phil and I talk all the time. Phil just moved to Las Vegas, so Phil lives like ten minutes from my house. But anyway, he was saying that John said, "You know, I I really want to talk to you, and I'm thinking about you know this year I'd like to put you on the poster, the shirts, and all that stuff." And it was actually Tico that came to John and said, "Listen, if you're going to put Phil in the picture, you really got to put Hugh in there too." <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, think of how many years that guy's been flying the flag, you know? Yeah. So yeah, and that, he, that's, where, he, that's where John's had that. Yeah, and Hugh, Hugh's a great guy, and I know that Hugh 
I knew that I know that John personally went to the Hall of Fame because Hugh was not originally going to be inducted with them, and it's right. really unheard of if you think about it. Right. It's a, it's a crazy anomaly because there's there's very other there's hardly any other precedent for a guy who is basically uncredited and unseen then being inducted into the Hall of Fame with the band. I mean, it was really it was a great thing for Hugh because he's such a good guy and was a huge contributor. Yeah. But it really sets a strange precedent for the Hall because nothing like that's ever been done before. For, to my knowledge, the ultimate hired gun f- doesn't get any recognition until they finally get inducted. Uh, even Howard Stern, who inducted them, was on the record yeah. saying, I don't know who this guy is. You know? Yeah, that's oh, great. That's great. I saw it online. It was so well done, and Howard was so good. And um, what can I say? You know, we're talking about, you know, what I've learned about the music business is. You know, when all your favorite bands get mega big and then they split up, you're like, well, well, how bad could it be? I don't understand. But now that I now that we're getting our own little taste of this stuff, I get it because it's 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 a new batch of feelings and frustrations that you have never experienced before. And it's hard to process it, man, because you're thinking I'm supposed to be really happy. I got what I wanted. What I don't understand this. <laughs> you know, some people can't take it. And that's why it's so hard for fans to understand from the outside when they just look at their favorite yeah. bands. They want them to stay together, keep going. They can't comprehend how it could be that tough. But, yeah, there are challenges indeed. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know you got a gig tonight in Alabama. Everybody, uh, Five Finger Death Punch currently on tour. Show's coming up as well. Big tour coming up with Breaking Benjamin. All the dates at FiveFingerDeathPunch.com. And the new album is out this coming Friday. But be- before I let you go, back to the one more thing on the movie. So the movie's been out for a little bit. It's on Netflix. Netflix. It's on DVD, Blu-ray, and all that. I, I, I don't. I've only seen it on Netflix. Is there? If I, if I buy the disc, is there bonus content? Because you said you shot so much. When I watch this thing, it's like I want so much more when it's over. So, is there more stuff? Yes, there is more stuff. Actually, I. Uh, well, first of all, if you buy the physical, the DVD or Blu-ray, it does come with a second disc of uh, bonus interview footage. All right. So I encourage that. It also has some more jams. I think Phil X plays a couple of his originals on there. Um, I was, you know, we were out of gas. By the time we were doing the bonus features, I'm like, I'm out of gas with this. But let, let's put it all together. Uh, I think those extra things are good, are helpful as far as, in you know, exciting the consumer. Um, it is on Netflix. It can be watched anytime, anywhere. Um, and we're already talking about a number two. I'm just I'm still licking my wounds from the first one, so it's hard for me to get it. You know, it's like coming back from Vietnam. Want to go back? Uh, yeah, give me a minute. <laughs> give me a minute. You know. <laughs> Was it successful for you, Jason? Did the film do what you wanted it to do commercially? I mean, I know you probably didn't go into it as a big money making venture, but did it at least do what you would hope to? And it sounds like it. If yeah. there's talk about doing another one, that it was it was worth it. Uh, you know, I'm I'm the luckiest guitar player in the world. I swear that we're about seventy five percent recouped. Um, when did it come out? August or something? I can't even remember. It came out August, fall of last year. So if you, you figure if I can get all the money back within a year, I am laughing. But let's keep our fingers and toes crossed that nothing goes wrong. 
Well, it's a great film. Everybody check it out. Hired Gun, like Jason said, you can get you can watch it on Netflix, and you can also uh, get the, the the disc, which I'm definitely going to seek out because I definitely want to see some of that bonus stuff. And I'm an old school guy anyway. I like having things physically and holding on to them. So Me definitely too. grab a blue Blu Ray on that. I'm all about CDs still. All about Blu Rays. That's the, that's when I feel like I fi- I truly have something when I have it in that yeah. way. Last well, thing. See, we're going to do the. Okay, go ahead. Well, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say, well, we should do the Ed Trunk uh, story and just think of all the people that will contribute on that film. Oh. <laughs> I, have a guy that, I, I have a guy that's a producer. In, uh, I just had lunch with him in L.A. last week, and he's a, he's, a pretty, he's a producer on a very, very popular network TV show, and he had the idea not too long ago. He wanted to just... He just wanted to have a couple camera people just follow me in my day to day life. Like one minute you're hunting down Vinny Vincent, the, ne- yeah. <laughs> the next minute I'm here, yeah. the next minute I'm doing this, and like just the, through the rock and roll journey of 35 years. I was like, it's not a bad idea if you can find someone who wants to televise it. Let's do it. But that's always the challenge. I've got the perfect. I've got the perfect fly on the wall videographer fellow. But wouldn't it be interesting? I mean, one day we're going to be so old, Eddie, and you're going to look back and go, I should have fucking taped that stuff. Going to be? You know? I'm 53, <laughs> Jason. I am. <laughs> going to be. I got my eye on retirement, bro. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, the, you, you talk about you talk about being through the wars. I got 35 years in in radio and TV and record business. I got scars, man. I've been beat, I've been beat up. I love it. Well, Ed, I love what you do. I think you're fantastic. I love your show. Thanks, man. Um, I, I'm a I'm a life I'm a lifer. So thank you for thank all you, bro. I appreciate that, man. And last thing, what's your favorite music doc? Since you said you love them, give us your favorite one. Wow, put on the spot. Well, I liked uh, Amy was pretty good. Um, I've looked back at the Clive Davis one was pretty good. I mean, I've watched them all, dude. Um, Me too. I even like stuff. Let's go way back. There was a Oh Say Can You Scream, Skid Row. It was really good. There was a Bon Jovi All Access, uh, like an extended doc, right? Remember all that stuff from the You're 80s? talking I the home know. video stuff. Yeah, you're talking back in the days of VHS home video. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I got them all. I have all of them. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, when I saw um, t- uh, 20 Seconds, uh, t- 20 Feet from Stardom, 20 Seconds, I'm brained it. 20 Feet from Stardom, that was kind of like, you know what? That feels like familiar territory to me. A bunch of these people that are standing on stage with uber celebrities but don't get the gratification because they're hired. I thought that was the one that kind of said, you know what? That's kind of like uh, how I felt. I can make that movie. I can, but I'll do it like the metal rock version. You know? Yeah. You know, I just I I know I keep saying we'll let you go, but I just had Dizzy Reed on my show last week, and I brought this up oh, to him. Yeah. Here's a guy who's been in Guns and Roses consistently for 28 years, and can still walk to the corner and get a carton of milk and not be yeah. stopped or bothered by anyone. He's been in yeah. Guns and Roses 28 years. <laughs> Well, you That's know what's crazy the there, Ed? He should move out of L.A. because fucking Tom Cruise could roll up at the Starbucks next to you and be like, eh, Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, I know, I'm not saying Dizzy is... 
I'm not saying Dizzy is seeking the attention. I'm just saying it's interesting how that works, too. Like, everybody's got the one or two guys that everybody knows, and then you have another guy that's literally been on a stage with Axl Rose for 28 years, and, yeah, if he goes into a rock show, a few people might know, but he, he and I, I talked to him about it. He can still yep. go get a quart of milk, and not one person is going to know he's a guy from Guns N' Roses. It's really wild when you think about that. I, I have a lot of respect for him, and I'll tell you why. Here's a guy who, even though he's busy as shit with these other huge gigs that he has, he still yeah. gets in. He still goes and does the you know the dizzy night, and where I'm going to yeah, yeah. play my song. Like I hookers wish and I blow. I, I wish I had that. I envy him. He's got yeah. a, he's got multiple outlets. I only have one. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, listen, man, speaking of the one that you have, you got a gig tonight in Alabama, so I should let you get to it. Uh, say hello to the guys. Pick up the new Five Finger record. It's out this coming Friday and Justice for None. And like I said, currently on tour with Shinedown and then segueing into a tour with Breaking Benjamin. All the dates are at FiveFingerDeathPunch.com. Good to talk to you, man. I'm sure I'll see you soon, okay? Eddie, thank you very much for having me on. All right, bro, anytime. Talk to you. Okay, bye. 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 My thanks to Jason Hook for calling in. Check out that movie, Hired Gun, if you didn't see it. It's now on Netflix. It is absolutely phenomenal and appreciate Jason's time. All right, we'll come right back and talk to Billy Duffy of the Cult next on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. If you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of your home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same car you want, and your certified dealers know this. So they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. If you like sports podcasts, check out Podcast One Sports Now every Tuesday on Podcast One Sportsnet. The Yankees and Red Sox are already fighting it out for first in the East, and it looks like they'll be the two teams going down the stretch. Backed by AP's sports department, Jim Litke and Tim Dahlberg break down the latest news and events throughout the week and podcasting from all major sporting events on site throughout the year. Keep a close eye on LeBron because we're pretty sure there's some heroics left in this guy. Check out Podcast One Sports Now at Podcast One Sportsnet and Apple Podcasts. Also, remember to rate and review. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Eddie Trunk here with you on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. Interview number two is with Billy Duffy of the Cult. I ran into Billy a couple weeks ago when I was in L.A. And uh, as I mentioned, I'm just coming off of hosting Rocklahoma. The Cult were staying in the same hotel as I, the Hard Rock in Tulsa. And I hosted a meet and greet with these guys. And then I said to Billy, hey, come on the air before you play Rocklahoma. And he was nice enough to do so. He swung by my radio booth as I was doing a broadcast. And here is that conversation with Billy Duffy of the Cult. 
I saw, I'm like the 70s guy, so I saw like your favorite band, UFO. When did you see UFO? 77, probably. You Lights Out Tour? Yep. Man- I, all the, well, people do love to correct me, but my recollection is there was a venue in Manchester where I grew up called the Free Trade Hall. Yeah. And I saw, I would go to every single gig and try and sneak in. We all did. We were a bunch of little urchins, and we would hang around at the backstage to door to watch them get out of their cars just to see the rock stars in walk on the pavement yeah. where we generally hung out. And I saw loads of stuff. I saw Ted Nugent's UK tour. That had quite an impact with the big semi-acoustic. Sure. Oh, who else? Did, everything. Right. Heap. It's Damon Fox. Damon, Damon from Damon the Fox is keyboards. Is, yes. Unfortunately, you don't have a headset for him, but you got to talk real loud if they want to hear you, Damon. But so who, Damon, You saw who? Uriah Heap? Is that what you yelled Rush, about? Uriah Heap, Blue Oyster Cult, where the drummer got off the drum kit and walked to the front, and they had six guitars. Hunter Ronson. Which I loved. I'm a big Ian Hunter Motley Hoople uh-huh. fan, and um, I loved all that stuff. But unfortunately, not a lot of people showed up to that one. It actually, it was Ian Hunter's Overnight Angels. I've got another band for you. Did you ever talk to Joe Elliott about Motley Hoople? Yes, oh, my often. God, he's Two things. way into it. Football, soccer, and, um, and, and them, yes. With Joe? Yeah, that when we did those tours together, we did those. Yeah, we, that's all we talk he's about. He's way into that. Be deep. What was, what, was the, what was the band when you were a kid growing up in Manchester? Was there one band that you saw that made you want to play the guitar? You said Ted seeing Nugent. Nugent, I like the semi-acoustic. Which you ended up, would end up playing. Yeah, yeah like yeah. I, there was something he, he, he really played on the, 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 the feedback aspects. Because everybody else used Les Pauls, which is what I loved. But he had this big semi-acoustic, and to me, it really resonated. Like, it was just so different, the way he used I think, it. I say this all the time. I think because Nugent is is obviously so polarizing with some of his views and things he says, people forget that he's a, he's a really good musician. He's a great guitar player, I think. I like, I like simple music done well. Yeah. I've never been a fan of um, Shred. I mean, like, the kind of guys who learned to shred in my school never got any girls and they never left the house <laughs> so you know we were you know that i think in all things a, a balance is important yeah so i like i like thin lizzy probably one band that really dr- drove me mental was the thin lizzy the two guitar thing yeah gorham and downey yeah i did see him as a trio before whiskey in the jar with eric bell with ding dong bell on guitar fantastic guitar player yeah rocker Things ain't working out down on the farm. All that really early stuff. They were on a bill because my dad, as a birthday present, took me to see Slade. So my father had to endure Slade. First band on Susie Quattro. So I am like the 70s guy because that's all we had really. That and football. That was it. But you know what's funny? And I talk about (laughs) this all the time. You growing up in England, like I'm fascinated by the band's that literally made no or or maybe very little impact in America, but were gods over there. Thin Lizzy in America, one hit wonder. Boys yep. are back in town, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. T-Rex in America, yeah. one song, yeah, yeah. bang a gong. Here, yeah. over there, I just watched a couple documentaries, oh, yeah, yeah. T-Rex to see, it was like the Beatles, it was yeah, crazy. Absolutely. And you yeah. mentioned Slade. Slade yeah. here, maybe one song. Status quo, nothing here. No, not even, totally unheard of. They were legendary. I saw them play once. The original lineup, Lancaster, Coglin, Parfit, and Rossi. And they, the way they start the show, if you go back on the YouTube, they would walk out on stage and all face in the, on the drum riser. And this is like 75, maybe, 70, and they would all start that boogie thing. Yeah. And I'm like a bit of a sucker for like a three-chord, you know, and it was status quo. Then I saw ACDC with Bon Scott. I even hit the guitar when Angus... They, what on this in it's like 77 or 78 
maybe 77, they would take Angus off the stage, Bon, and then come in the back of the venue and walk down the middle of the stalls to get back on stage with Angus on his shoulders. So everybody tries to hit the guitar, so I managed to get a good score on there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been at loads of gigs. Tom Petty, when um, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers opened for um, Nils Lofgren on oh, the Cry wow. Tough tour. I saw that at Manchester Apollo, which is still a venue that my band plays. Yeah. And, Angus and Bond did that on uh, the whiskey. Uh, Sunset. Whiskey. Uh, uh, Angus, yeah. Angus and Bond. Uh, bon Scott played the. They played Angus. ACDC played the whiskey. Yes. Yeah. Early on, they played with punk clubs first. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. The, no, ACDC. Damon, we don't have a mic for Dan. I'm sorry, Damon. I wish I could, we could hear you better, but. But they play punk clubs. When ACDC started in England, punk was happening. So nobody really knew, other than the fact that the the guitar player had a schoolboy outfit on, was very eclectic. People people didn't people really didn't judge them very early. They would they they play punk clubs. I I remember them. I missed them in Manchester when they played a place. I think it was the Electric Circus. I was too young to go, and it was a very nasty part of town. But they, yeah, when they started, people because nobody had defined what punk w- was. It wasn't the Sid Vicious doll cliche then. Uh-huh. Punk was like this fluid thing that nobody could define, and it was just the, that period is when I left high school. So that's a big part of kind of the cult's DNA. There's punk rock because I lived it. You know what I mean? Well, I was going to ask you though, go, no. growing up, you know, seeing UFO and ACDC and Thin Lizzy and all these bands, did, did you embrace punk when it came into England? Absolutely, yeah. You were into it. Yeah, yeah, because the, 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 the thing that growing up in England was like the bands like Zeppelin and a lot of the bands who became enormous in America spent a long time in America. So we could never see them. They were these, oh, they would appear from their private jet and poof, they'd be at Nedworth <laughs> playing 250. I couldn't afford that. I couldn't afford to get the bus into Manchester, let alone. Go so for us any band that we could sneak in to see, but but to me I I would go and see and Damon mentioned Uriah Heep I did go and see Uriah Heep another but, band that never yeah you know, maybe easy living a little bit and, yeah yeah exactly exactly but Still, they're different I mean there I mean people. Absolutely loved Heap. I mean, it was a whole different thing well, there, right? Yeah, there's still very Wishbone Ash. There's another one. But yeah, yeah. what I'd do, because I was such an obsessive on music, I would happily then go and see Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers or Wayne County or whatever punk band, the million English punk bands, the Cortinas, the Boys, the Banshees, the Damned. I would go and see whatever was on, Slaughter and the Dogs. So that's just my upbringing. So it's kind of in... The back, you know, people in America probably see the cult from one perspective and maybe scratch their heads sometimes about some of the things we do musically. But it's just nice to try and explain to people that deep down, you know, I it's live, all part of the DNA. It's part of it. But, but, you know, as much as I loved Thin Lizzy and ACDC, I would embrace the New York Dolls and Iggy. To me, I didn't differentiate between the two. Just good was good and the louder the guitars were better. Did you see the dolls? No. You saw Johnny Thunders. I saw though. Johnny Thunders. I didn't see the dolls. What kind of shape was Johnny in when you saw him at that he, time? He was, was capable. Right? He was capable enough to hold a phone and um, give me a guitar pick. That's the story. He actually gave me a guitar pick out of his pocket. Oh, True wow. story. 
True story. And I still use the same brand of picks to this day. And now I've got my own ones with my little logo on them. Yeah, I just watched a documentary on him recently. It was on Netflix or something. It's called, called like this In Search of Johnny. And it was it's such a tragic story. I mean, it tells you the whole arc and all the issues he had yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah. But it's a it's a pretty incredible story. Well, at really the time, yeah, the time, well, you're a kid. You don't really know all that stuff. You know, yeah. I didn't. I, I wasn't I wasn't conscious of all the drug abuse and all that stuff. But did you get tied up into it? Into it much? It well, I I mean I have taken some class A drugs when I was a, a youth because in the UK um, there was well, there was no um, great South American connection, so the drugs they were basically opiates or speed. That was when I was a kid. There was alcohol, which was a mainstay and still is of British life. Right. And then you would augment that with either opiates or or speed. Um, and um, I have done a line of speed off Lemmy's Blade. So uh, <laughs> you either have or you haven't. But I, I was never a big drug guy, to be totally honest. I'm not trying to sound like a big shot, but drugs, I, they didn't work for me personally. Yeah. And I was just a real boozer. Yeah. I used to really drink a lot of spirits, hard liquor. and When did you stop drinking? Oh, 20-odd years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, it just, just wasn't did, was it just Was it a process, or was it just one day you woke up and you said, that's it? It was a bit of a, pro, a, bit of a process. I, 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 it was becoming just wasn't fun anymore. Yeah. They have certain sayings in certain type support groups, but, you know, it's fun, then it's fun with problems, and then it <laughs> pr- pretty much just becomes problems. Yeah. And at that point... You know, I just tried to stop for a little bit and I liked it. And luckily, I happened to be in a place at the time I was living in Los Angeles where, you know, the sun's shining. It's different when it's raining every day and you're miserable. You know, you end up with Seattle and grunge or you end up with punk rock in England. Right, right. It's, it's circumstantial as to, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go for a nice walk in the sunshine when it's pouring with rain for three weeks. <laughs> right, right, right. So you stay home and you either maybe write great music you know, and and perhaps experiment with mind-altering substances. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you look great, man. We were just talking before you came on. You, you, you we're here in Oklahoma, and you're in search of of finding some sort of food that uh, will not kill you. <laughs> you know, well, that's not fried. That's you know not what? beef. That's not bacon, and not ranch dressing. But that's not. I'm not being like some kind of snob. I've no, never as you like, get older, we're trying to keep it together. I get. I it. never like. Be- I never liked red meat when I was a kid. I'm, I'm an English guy. It never really liked the Sunday roast. I don't like. <laughs> pink meat in the middle and you know so it's not like i've suddenly become this like new age no i don't i didn't think that at all I'm i just, just don't saying. like it i don't like red meat but never you made, but but my point is is that you said you know when you were 20 years ago you got smart and you said you know i can't drink anymore and you 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 did the the right thing for your your body me, and yeah, your, yeah, your future me. and i mean you know you're you're still here looking great sounding great so that's that's the most important thing that that light goes on i i got lucky i've been yeah. in the music industry my whole life 35 right. years if somebody said to me tomorrow you can never touch another drink again, wouldn't bother me at all. No, yeah, yeah. not face me. And I never did a drug. Ever did drugs. So I'm not. I'm not sitting yeah. here saying it just wasn't for me. But but, but same with Damon. Like Damon, see, Damon, Mr. Yeah. Damon Fox. He's nodding his head in agreement. Now I'm describing I'm the, Damon. I'm the zapper of the band. <laughs> no drugs. No drugs. Yeah. No, yeah. Drink. no but, drink. No coffee though. That I can't relate to. 
Oh, really? Yeah, me and Damon, we don't, we can't bond over coffee because he doesn't drink it. I'm like, what? You don't drink coffee? What? I don't That's understand. the biggest drug of all. For some people, can't function without. But uh, yeah, it's a big thing. Tell me what's going on with the band before I let you get all out right, of here okay. and get something to eat. What's well, the latest on the front with the cult? Before, they, besides the fact you're yeah, hopefully yeah. going to play tonight at we're, Rocklahoma. We're, we're here for our second year to try to play to the good <laughs> people of Oklahoma. Yeah, we we show up. We're definitely. Triers. They were here last year and got rained out. Yeah, That's what we're talking yeah. about. So we're hoping the weather cooperates this year. This year for the cult really is just we we've done we did an album in 2016 called Hidden City. We toured that for about a year and a half. That's pretty much come to its end. So we're basically just doing one-off shows and for this year and then we have the R3 tour with which you know about right. with um, Stone Temple Pilots and, and Bush. Bush. Right, that's the biggest. Two commitment. thirds are on this bill today because yes. STP's playing it. The yep. only one we don't have is Bush. They they yeah. were here last year, I think, but yeah, I just they just saw Gavin actually. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's the big tour in the summer in America for us, which will be fun. Um, I enjoy that. That'll be the. Uh, you have history with the other two bands, much? Yeah, we're pretty friendly. Yeah, we're, we're fairly friendly, so so I'm, we're all looking forward to it. There's a lot of I played with the Leo brothers a lot, and I kind of know Gavin from around and mutual friends. Right, and I know he's drummer, and it, you know I, I'm, I think it'd be great. Help and you it. guys are going to rotate. The the billing, yes, right? Yes, that's the cunning the cunning thing they've managed to get somehow hoodwink three bands into uh Well here's here's <laughs> my thing on that. You tell me if you agree. I feel right. that if you're if I was in that situation, the spot I'd want is the middle. I yeah, think yeah. I'd because I was talking to a couple of people like hell yeah get out of there before traffic and all that but the, you know you want to you want to be in the middle you still get a little darkness it's still the yeah, sweet yeah, spot yeah, people yeah. didn't just sit through two bands yeah, yeah so maybe the third maybe the closing spot isn't the best we as a band the cult we we often find ourselves in that position generally I mean we're going to play in Spain um, we're going on directly before Simple Minds who are back with the big album and fairly big in America and huge in Europe you yeah. know like a stadium act yeah yeah. We happen to be randomly playing with them. Um, it's a nice slot. It's just funny. Yeah, we're all going to have to eat it and go on first, eat some big humble pie, <laughs> go on when it's light. People are still eating nachos. And, but I, you know what? We've publicized it so much. I think people, people know to get in there. People to know to go early. Bands. That's the whole point of the publicity on it. And it's been done before, but I don't necessarily know. It's completely that everybody does the same slot an equal amount of right. times. I think there was some shenanigans about what city different bands headlined, though. They were trying to say it was a lottery, but I'm not buying so, it. So has it been predetermined, or are you actually going to flip coins? No, it's predetermined. So it's all predetermined yeah. what the order is for and each city be, already. And that will be announced in the cities where, where, where each one... I know I know a couple where we're headlining. I'll, I'll get one, for example, is Toronto, where the cult were absolutely we're massive. And we I know we're closing there, and that can't be a coincidence, because we, we have... Tremendous history up there, that, and, and that makes sense. If every band fine, has man. certain pockets and states Agreed, and areas yeah. where that 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 do a little better, and it would make sense to do that. But I think, that's... I think it's great that you announce it in advance too, because let's be honest. I mean, if there is somebody that's maybe a fan of two bands and not so much the other, and they, know, they know the first band's going on, they don't have to break their ass to get there after work early, and it, fine, they man. can't see what they they want to see. I think it's good value, man. Yeah, I it's think, great. You great know, bill. three headline bands, a lot of hit records, many many millions of records. Sold. Old, a lot of hits be played, you know, and I think in, in, in this day and age where it, there's somewhere between a gig and like a festival, which can be a little overwhelming for some people, there's almost too much. Yeah. This kind of tour, it's a good, nice slice of music. I think the bands are complimentary, but different enough. 
that you know you don't you, agree. Yeah, you know I think it's I think it's interesting and hopefully you know it, it looks like it's selling pretty well. So you know we're happy. And one last thing, the uh, you guys have done a lot of stuff with Guns and Roses as far as opening for them, including on these recent this recent mm-hmm. reunion. How's that whole, whole stuff? Have you had much time to interact with anybody in the band, or you yeah. basically do your thing and, and get no, out of no, there? we're we're friends with them. We, yeah. we did uh, we they did have a lot of time supporting us originally. I always tell people that not oh, many people oh, remember that in in the, in the U.S. in '87 they opened for us. Oh. We invited them on the road. So they return the favor. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So we, is that what the bond is really about? I yeah, mean, I, I imagine was, they're fans of the cult as well. Well, but. Ian, I, I can take no credit for it. In 87, we were looking for a band to go on tour with us to do Electric. We'd been with Billy Idol opening for him, and he was doing arenas on Whiplash Smile, and that was great fun. And Ian said, there's this band, uh, I had n- never heard of them, Guns N' Roses. They're from L.A. They're great. They're really great, rock, authentic. It's the real deal. I tried to go and see him in London at the Marquee, where I was li- we were still living at the time. Couldn't get in. Typical British fashion. They're like, I don't care what band you're in. It's sold out. Piss off. <laughs> that's British. <laughs> but I'm in the cult. It's piss off. <laughs> and so that's exactly what happened. So anyway, cut a long story short, that was, I think, I believe their first major tour. They were supposed to go out opening for... Queensryche and Helix. Ace Freely and Y&T. The cult, uh, the Guns N' Roses were. were. That's the yeah. tour that they were going to do. That's what I heard. Yes, because it's, the. I, I, you're right. It Y&T was. Y&T. Ace Freely and Y&T because I signed Ace Freely at that time. Right. I was his A&R guy. Where? 87. To right? Megaforce yeah, yeah. Records. 87. I signed Ace Freely. And Ace's tour, at that tour ended up being right. Ace, Y&T, and Faster Pussycat. Right. So it was, it was that tour. Th- that, that slot. So they basically, at that time, ta- because ta- Faster Pussycat's first album came out the same exact day as Appetite for Destruction. When they played with us, they, nothing's changed with Guns N' Roses. They remain friends of ours. Um, you know, some of them are close friends of ours. You know, obviously, Matt Sorum's been in both bands. They kind of... Oh, yeah. They didn't really steal him off us. But, I mean, we, we'd done a tour with Matt, and we were kind of going into it downtime and they desperately needed a drummer and they, I think Duff and Slash came to see us play in LA at the Universal Amphitheatre somewhere and they liked Matt so much they made him an offer that he couldn't refuse and I encouraged him if you if you ask him if you ever see him I was like I'd take it you know what I mean it's yeah. a once in a lifetime opportunity because their trajectory at that point I mean they, they'd done Appetite was done and this was user illusions they were in the studio yeah, right right and I just said to Matt, man, you, you should take it, you know? Yeah, I saw you guys open for him just recently at the Dodger. I was at the Dodger Stadium show, actually. And, it, and it's great when you play with them because you, you, you have a long set. You guys yeah, do, yeah, you know, yeah. you do like a, almost a full headline set. It, it, was, it was good. We did Mexico yeah. City, it was off the hook. San Diego's always strong for the cult. That was really good. The only problem with going, the only problem with the LA show was that. Nobody mentioned that because of Dodger Stadium's curfew. It was early. We were going on at like, you know, it was like a late lunch. No, (laughs) six, six. So everybody who came were in the parking lot when we were. So that was a bit of a problem. Guns N' Roses went on at the normal time we would go on. Like 8 o'clock. Yeah, they went on I was there, I know. Yeah, right. You, and, you and then, but it was crazy because I remember that was buzzing around. And the, the irony of that yeah. is all anybody talks about is Guns N' Roses going on so late. <laughs> and at that thing, they were on in daylight. It was like 7.45. Yeah. And, and the, the, yeah. The, it's yeah. Dodger Stadium, which is ironic, really, but they have a curfew. So, But it was, uh, you know, it was fun. I, I, it was an event, and, I, you know, it was fun. It seemed in some way poetic. 
that they invited us to play with them. Right. And we, they invited us to do a few more that we just couldn't do because we had tours of our own in like Australia and Canada. We would have done more. Uh, the fans like that combination, obviously. It's a very compatible, you know. So, um, But it was, it was great. It was nice to be a part of it, and, and we, we're all, all still friends, so that's good. And the cult now, you, you got, of course, Damon over here. You got my buddy Tempesta, who's been in the band, what, Longest serving drummer. 12 years, yes. you told me last night? It's incredible. My gosh. So John Tempesta logging 12 years with the cult. And who's on bass with you now? Grant Fitzpatrick, okay. who's an Australian. And how long has he been in? A couple of years now. He, he replaced Chris, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so. why, why, why is he left? And then we, we got Grant in. And um, that's the lineup at the moment. It's great to have Damon have some keyboards and sure. just give us an opportunity to kind of expand from certain you know guitar oriented stuff you know it's and, good and uh and, and then thought about another record yet or too soon it's um you know that's more like it, i don't look at it's more like when it feels right like for me and ian to get together and mm-hmm. really want to do it i just think it's all about quality not quantity agreed yeah with with older bands yeah. and it's like i'd rather put out good stuff infrequently than just churn out i do well i would just not i can't do it i yeah. couldn't if i don't think it's it's the best we can i want to finish and think that's the best we can do not that's the best we can do given the time we've got and the money and so you know we we like to write new songs you know we we, you know i'd never rule it out right you know but there's no like concrete plans to have an album or do anything you know right now um but there are there's been talk of um getting some new music together well, my thanks to Billy Duffy of The Cult. You know, The Cult got rained out at Rocklahoma last year, so they got scheduled again this year, and they played without a hitch this year. So it was good to see them finally get a set in and sounding great. Appreciate Billy coming by. And thanks to Jason Hook again, who joined me earlier on the podcast. And again, uh, remember to always shop on Amazon.com by starting at my page, which is Amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. Appreciate you starting there follow on my social media at eddie trunk on twitter where i am most active there's also instagram and facebook eddie as usual the official online home music news and a whole lot more brand new trunk nation t-shirt available in the merch store on my site signed copies of either of my books the blog which is the trunk report and a whole lot more all on eddietrunk.com. Don't forget, next up, I'll be in Cincinnati on July, I'm sorry, on June 9th, coming up really soon, uh, doing a speaking show at the venue. Come out and join me there. All of the appearances, like I said, are on the homepage of my site. Katie Irizarry is our producer. I'll see you guys next Thursday for another all-new episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, free as always, podcastone.com and iTunes.
Lady Gang podcast is giving away something big. It's happening. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm sure you're overwhelmed. Like, really big. Over $100,000. Oh, it's over $100,000. Damn. We're like baby Oprahs over here. Find out just what they're giving away by downloading the Lady Gang podcast at Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Also remember to rate and review. Most people only see their doctor a few days each year. For all the other days, there's CVS Health Hub, where you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab the essentials you need in just one trip, even on evenings and weekends. For care between doctor visits, from earaches to help with diabetes or sleep apnea, visit your local CVS Health Hub today. That's healthier made easier. Services vary by location. See cvs.com slash health hub for details. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 